This is Rumblestrip, America Heilman. I am recording. Excellent. You know, Are I was you thinking recording? I'm recording and I was thinking about usually when I am interviewing somebody I'm looking at them and usually I'm, you know, responding with my face. And So you printed out um some photographs, some press photographs. Um I did, some happy yeah. and some sad. Yeah. Some happy and some and some kind of ambiguous expressions. Mysterious. But um murky. Murky, <laughs> murky, murky. Uh, mercurial is my um is my blue steel. Mercurial is your resting face? Mm, resting mercurial face. <laughs> Days we were young took photographs of everything we could see. That's Ryan Lott, and you're listening to his band Sunlux, a band that's pretty much impossible to categorize or genrefy. The sound is massive, it's anthemic, but it's also strangely intimate. The rhythms are incredibly complex, and it's shot through with these bright little details of sound. The project started in Ryan's brain in Cleveland, where he was composing music for dance performances. And then it grew by two, guitarist Rafik Batia and drummer Ian Chang. They're all composers and producers, performers and improvisers. And I think it's fair to say that they're all wicked smart. Rafik and Ian are based in New York, and Ryan is in L.A., which is where he was when I interviewed him just two days before he went out on tour for their new album, Brighter Wounds. He was in a studio, and I was in my underwear closet. And we got into this really interesting conversation about where music actually comes from and how he makes it, or maybe where he finds it. And the beauty of interviewing musicians is you can play their music, so you'll hear lots of Sunlux in this show, too. It starts out with me asking him how he sort of arrived at or how he found his own sound. Here's Ryan Lott. This is a dream state. You know, uh, I think what's so weird about music is it, it has its own life. It, it, it exists. I mean, what the heck is it? <laughs> we, can, we can make it, but then once it's made, it's like it, entirely its own thing. I mean, it's like a human itself. You know, once you've, you've made it and you can, you can cultivate and craft it, but, you know, you let that thing go and it's, it's entirely its own thing taking with it a diminishing amount of your influence. So on the topic of how do you cultivate your own artistic voice, um, it's more about like, well, how do you discover, how do you discover it rather than how do you like make it, right? So you're saying that, you're saying that it's, it's of you, but it's also something that you have found. It's almost like it's, it already was there in a dark room and then you've turned on the lights. Yeah, abs- absolutely. It exists already in, in, for you to find. You know, there's there's an aspect of, of this something within you that, that exists whether you like it or not. And there's a way to find it. And I and there's a an honest uh pursuit that yields I think a discovery. Um sometimes that's a great discovery and sometimes it's not. And then in ways that you sort of object to that discovery, then that there's the an inherent friction there that you can work against to make yourself better and then in very practical terms just 
uh, cultivate like you would if you were a woodworker or like steel worker or something, someone that just needs to work at it and then get better at your, at your craft. What are some of the ways to decrease the friction for you? I mean, what are you doing that invites the discovery rather than dissuade? I mean, just putting in the hours. I mean, I, I, you know, there's not like some magic, like I don't like candles and like I don't get high. I don't like, it's 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 really just work. I mean, it, there's a lot of discipline and work um, involved in, in um, on, a, on a practical level, one of the things that I do is I, I work on a bunch of different things all at once. And that um, that is a, a really great way to avoid writer's block because I never set up too much friction or too much opposition between myself and the thing that I'm trying to winnow out. Um, as soon as I experience a certain amount of struggle, apathy, frustration, those channeled toward music aren't, in my opinion, aren't going to yield something beautiful. You know, friction or frustration and, um, Anger, those are great things as long as they're not channeled toward the thing that you're creating, in my, in my opinion. I think, I think, I, I want to be in love with, I, wa- I want to be in love with the thing that I'm creating. My wife, Jen, and I always forget, is it bitchy resting face or resting bitch face? Do you remember? I think it's bitchy resting faced. Bitchy, okay, so... Wait a minute, now I'm confused, resting... Because bitch is a noun converted into an... Because bitch is a noun converted into an... Yeah, adjective or whatever. Well, I'm glad we straightened that out, like, right at the top of this interview. Um, Yeah. So we were talking about how music is something that, in a way, it exists outside of yourself and you find it so when you're sitting down to write a score or song how do you find it it's almost like um taking a journey where maybe there's a bunch of detours and the detours are they generate work for you and in that process you discover you know rather than only having like Dairy Queen and Taco Bell to choose from on the road trip. Like you have some really cool mom and pop places, you know, that you can discover and hiking trails and things that are off the beaten path. But they they do, I do have the sense that in create in the creative process that something there are things out there that exist already that and and it's hard to explain. But the reason why I feel so sure about this is that there are. There are these moments of serendipity, these kind of like, quote unquote, lucky moments, lucky things that happen. And you're just like, wow, like I definitely, I wasn't the architect of that. This happened to me in the creative process. Like, whoa, this just happened to me. 
you know, and then it gets you excited about other people hearing it because it's going to happen to them, <laughs> you know, probably to a lesser degree because they, they hadn't spent 270 hours to arrive at that point. So the waterfall at the end of that super long trail, they're going to come down on, on a, from a helicopter on a rope, you, you know, hike through the jungle, but either way, that waterfall, you know, we're both going to, you know, arrive at it. And what also happens is you hike through the jungle and you come across this tree and because of your fatigue and because of like all the effort it took you to get there, you see this tree and you deeply want it to be a miracle. Oh my God, I've slogged through this fucking jungle like mosquitoes, rattlesnakes, blah. You know, and then you're like, oh my God, I found this amazing tree and the fruit from it is, oh my God, it's so good. Well, it's actually not that good. The fruit is not that good, but you're just, you just need it to be for your own like sanity. And when other people come across it, they take that tr- that bite of that fruit and they're like, uh, it's actually pretty bland. It's got this really weird mouthfeel. I'm not into it, right? And that's a lot of times what making music is as well. <laughs> <laughs> not always a gorgeous waterfall. So in your experience of listening to your music, it must be like looking at a map or looking at a map of all of that experience making making it. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a window into a house that I experienced while making that window from the inside out. Whereas like for if you hear one of my pieces of music, you see the window and it glistens in a certain way and it catches the light in a certain way, but you may not have the desire or you may not have the ability to see through that window into the world that I experienced um as I as I created that room inside and and you know built that window. Um, I'm using so many kind of ridiculous metaphors in this interview. I'm kind of loving the metaphors. (laughs) See, I'm not like usually like, it's like metaphor guy. It's like a, it's like a waterfall of windows. (laughs) You know, you know, it's a, it's to clarify, it's it's a waterfall of windows, 98 computers that are, um, when computers running windows, 98, that are all sort of collapsing into one giant gargantuan, um, trash pile. you explain what Sunlux is? There are three of you, but it sounds like there are many more of you. What is the music? What is it 
what is the music actually made of? Well, kind of inherent to your question is is a assumption that music exists because it was performed um, and recorded, which I think is an errant. <laughs> Sorry, but that's like that's that's a kind of um that's a really limited view of how music comes to exist. Um, Are you scolding me? <laughs> um, the beauty of this moment is that music can reveal itself both through our limbs and also kind of almost directly from our minds um, with the assistance of technology. And there are ideas that we can have that are entirely unperformable, but they can be brought to be. So suddenly the 12-string guitar can do things that no 12-string guitar can do. But through technology and through the mind and the application of both of those working together, you can create something that's truly musical, but also not performable. So when it comes to the record, yes, there's all sorts of things that we can do that have nothing to do with like holding a guitar and playing it traditionally or sitting in a drum kit and playing it traditionally or piano or a... Now, all of those things do happen in our music, for sure, and in good measure. But if there's one thing I would say I'd want people to walk away from or experience while listening to the music, which isn't a requirement, but it's something I'd, I'd hope, is that they feel, that a person feels there's something both deeply strange and also profoundly familiar about the, the world of sound that they find themselves in. So how do you translate your music to live performance? I mean, when you're, how do you perform music that you in many ways describe as unperformable? Um, what goes into a, a live performance, let's call it a live performance, um, is just a crap load of preparation, which is the case if you're um, a singer and you strum a guitar and you have a harmonica strapped to your neck. There's a lot of prep that goes into something, you know? no matter what you're doing. So in our case, there's that traditional prep, learning how to play the song and how to sing the song. But then there's also some programming because we're actually, one of the ways you can think about it is that we're we're building the instruments that we're playing. In the digital realm, we are sort of creating the very instruments that we're playing. And so there's an additional layer of preparation. Until all that work is done, you can't really get inside the music. But once all that preparation is done, just like a classical pianist, you know, you just, once the moaner memory is there and emotional preparation that you've made and the decisions you've made, um, at that point, you can make music <laughs> in front of humans. Um, How do you communicate with each other on stage? You're all aware of of the possibility of something happening that's improvisational. And in order for something to happen, you all have to kind of arrive at the same door at the same time. And that's that's a kind of a miraculous thing. So how you listen that right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not, um, I wouldn't say I'm very good at it. But when, uh, when it's working, it, it's so, so cool. I mean, it's like when you, when you make a decision in the moment, and so does someone else, the exact same decision, the exact same moment, um, when you share a mind in that way. It's incredibly exciting, and it, it's not something that is, you know, I don't understand it, um, but I also don't understand, like, I mean, how does a phone work? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? It definitely works. But like, how does a cell phone actually work? I mean, some people understand it, and I don't. Um, but at the same time, I totally do, and I, it is, I can, I can, I can do a phone call really, really well. <laughs> um, and you know, a lot of times that's kind of what music is. Like, it's just kind of this weird especially uh, music, live music that involves improvisation. It's like you can kind of understand it. I mean, there's certain mechanics of it that you know, but you you can't necessarily explain it. And certainly how it happens is is a giant is a giant magical mystery. millions of people around the world who listen to your music is that um can you get can you get lost in there or or i mean how does how do you manage are there ego issues that must be managed uh, you know of course it's amazing to think about oh my gosh this video has like millions of views and that means people are really listening to music and then i go to this town i've never heard of and hundreds of people show up and it's like that's all amazing stuff. I mean, I'm, you know, of course, um, it's definitely not why I do this, um, but it, it's one of the rewards for doing it. I mean, the music itself is is the reward. I mean, anything above that is is just completely in excess. Um, my good friend Nathan Johnson said uh, once, "You don't have to play by their rules if you don't need their rewards," and I think that's a really important concept to keep in mind in the creative process. If your aim is one thing, your process and and what you do will be informed by, of course, your aim. And so to continually recognize that the aim of making the music is is the music, then that's that's a great safeguard, I think, for getting out of uh, getting out of whack. And also recognizing that every day on Twitter I happen upon someone with 10 million followers who I've never heard of. And then I realize, oh, like my um, a lot less than that number of followers <laughs> like, is a good reminder that um, I'm, you know, this is a huge world and I'm a, I'm a tiny human being and I make relatively strange music. And um, God bless the people who listen and also the people who don't. <laughs> this heart is That was Ryan Lott, founder of the band Sunlux. Sunlux is also Rafiq Batia and Ian Chang. Their latest album, which was just released, is called Brighter Wounds, and they start a North American tour on March 7th. I'll put a link to their site up on my website, rumblestripvermont.com. I want to thank all of you who have become monthly donors. It makes a huge difference in my life to have lots of people donating just a couple or few bucks a month. So thank you for everybody who did that. And if you want to donate, you can find a donate button on my website. The website is rumblestripvermont.com. I'm working on several big shows at once right now, which take longer to make. 
So if you don't hear from me for a little bit, know that I am driving around in my car with a recorder. And if you want to comment on what you're hearing, please take a minute to make a comment on iTunes or Apple Podcast, whatever it's called now. Um, That helps new listeners find the show. That is it for now. I will be back soon. And thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.